We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. sacred collective podcast uh thank you for listening whenever or wherever you are um i have a special interview that i have planned for us today um it's a good friend of mine um we go way back all the way through college a little bit of seminary and uh we keep in contact through text and and um some facebook groups that we're a part of i won't say what ones they are for anonymity's sake um, but I want to welcome my good friend Brent Walmsley to the podcast. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess a little bit of background on Brent, and then we'll kind of I'll just turn it over to him for a little bit. Um, Brent and I met in college um, at Bible College. I mean, it was a university, but really a Bible College at good old North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I think we met right away in our freshman year. Um, you're, I believe a couple years older than me, but we hit it off. I, we were part of the commuter group, um, <laughs> way back then. And he kind of got me, whether he knew it or not, he was a lot more, I don't know, conservative Republican at the time. And I was that way too. And he kind of started going more towards, I don't know, progressivism or democratic. And I was like, I want to talk to Brent more. And I think our friendship kind of built from there and went on. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Brent. Um, just kind of maybe tell a little bit about yourself, like who you are, where you're living, what you're doing, and then we'll do some rapid fire questions there. How does that sound? Sounds good. Yeah. It's, it was a couple months ago. I was, I was texting you asking for tattooing advice. So <laughs> that is true. I, I am that uh, tattoo expert. <laughs> you are the guy who would know the most in my circle. I'm like, how much would a tattoo this size cost? And you're like, well, depends on a million variables. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. It's very true. So, yeah, so I, I, I did attend uh, North Central University with uh, the esteemed scholar, Brian Adlin. We had a great time there. We had a lot of fun. I don't know if I I'm a scholar, time. but hey, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I, I did attend Bethel. Um, but I slipped on ice outside my apartment and broke my ankle in three places, did crutches in January and February. Uh, and I decided I've had enough of these Minnesota winters. And so I, I transferred down to Fuller Seminary, where I completed my Master of Divinity. Um, and, and something unique that happened at the end of Fuller is I was recruited by a group called Teach for America. And so um, I actually started teaching at the end of Fuller. I think I kind of saw it as something that prepared me for ministry. Um, but I've ended up sticking with it. I've been teaching now for about 10 years. I took a couple of years off to do a couple other things, but I, I'm back in it. I teach English at a small high school in South LA and love it. And I live in Long Beach, California and love it. And uh, that is me. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a little jealous that uh, you flew the coop, so to say, because, you know, you were one of those Minnesotans. And I remember, um, I mean, we hung out a lot. I remember back like early time. I think I went out to your house once, met your sister. Um, uh what else we i don't know i think we went to some bars and restaurants it was fun so we go brent is a long long standing friend that i've had and i like having friends on the podcast um like i said it's my own podcast and you know there's a lot of podcasts out there faith spirituality whatever and they just kind of go for like these big you know out there names and whatever and i've always kind of wanted to you know, just have conversations with my friends and wherever people are listening to to kind of be like, these are more everyday people that, you know, I want to interview and I want to, you know, talk to and everything about that. So, um, I guess one of the questions, or not questions per se, but one thing that we kind of talk about is obviously faith and deconstruction, spirituality, all that. Um, just giving a little snippet, Brent, however long or short you want. 
um, kind of just maybe your background and like how you grew up in faith and um, how you progressed through college and seminary to where you're at presently. So um, I grew up in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which if you know the Lutherans, they're kind of like the Southern Baptists meet Lutherans. They're a very conservative group. I got them brought into an evangelical free youth group. Um, and when I graduated high school, I just took a year off and I interned for a youth ministry in River Falls, Wisconsin called Teens for Christ. It was a good time. And there I encountered an Assembly of God church. Um, and um, there's something I found really interesting about it. I really connected with the pastor. And he told me about the school I had actually never heard of called North Central University. Uh, I was really wondering what to do next with my life. And for whatever reason, I found this kind of home in Pentecostalism. So I started attending North Central, where I have a degree in pastoral studies. Um, When I graduated, though, I just I really didn't feel ready to go into pastoral ministry. So I thought, you know, I think I should do seminary to be a little bit better prepared for this. And so that's, again, where I started with you at Bethel, ended up at Fuller. Um, and then I became ordained in the American Baptist, uh, tradition. Um, and uh, honestly, I, I had a transformation where I looked at the way that the church was treating the LGBTQ plus community. And it just, it, it hit a moment. I mean, I remember it very well. I was teaching seventh grade. One of my students was crying, just scared out of her mind because she didn't know how to tell her family that she thought she was gay. And she didn't know how her church was going to respond. And it just, I, I remember driving home, I had a really long drive home that year. It was over an hour. And I just thought, I, this isn't what I want to do. This is what I want to be part of. This isn't, um, this isn't me. And so that left me with very few options in the American Baptist. They do have some open and affirming churches, but they're primarily on the East Coast or they're kind of scattered throughout the country. So we kind of went the traditional deconstructing route. We became Episcopalians. Um, we were very happy at our fiscal church in Long Beach for about five years. Good time. Um, and then I, you know, and I want to talk to you about this and see what you thought, but you know, the thing that really did it in for me where, um, my faith really fell apart was seeing the 81% support of Donald Trump. And just, I, it was kind of a, a shattering moment for me because it was mentors. I had pastors. I had, uh, professors, people that I just would not have ever thought would have looked at a guy like that and saw a president. And and it kind of got me thinking a little bit like, well, if I was being lied to about this, what else was I being lied to about? And, you know, it was weird because I was like a fully fledged adult, but that seeing that, were you surprised by it? Um, Truthfully, yes and no. Um, I've been a part of progressive Christianity probably for the last 10 years now. And so I was probably in this insular bubble. Um, you know, at the time it was funny because while I, be- I was a member, I started being a member of the United Church of Christ in 2012, but then I was working at Bethel up until, you know, the fall of 2017. And, uh, you know, there was quite a few students at Bethel who were very progressive and, you know, progressive and they probably wouldn't be progressive in you know, other places like in the UCC or the college I work at now, but um, there's still a lot of Trumpsters and stuff uh, there. But so I was in this insular bubble of where I, uh, where I went to church, most of my friends that, you know, I have. And so I was like, there's just no way, there's just no way that so many people can vote for Trump. Like when he, when he got the nomination, I was like, this is a joke. Like what, you know, what is going on? This collective like gasp and sigh of like what's happening. And I remember I was at work cause I was working overnight at Bethel the night of the election and the staff that I had underneath me, they were all progressive. They were all like non Bethel people. And so they all voted for Clinton and I had voted for Clinton and all the, you know, all the numbers were starting to come in of, and I mean, and Trump was just, you know, kicking, kicking ass. And I just was so shocked and so, um, bewildered. And so then it really happened. But then, I mean, I think there were both two people, terrible people running, you know, I'm not a big fan of Clinton and obviously not of Trump, but I think what really did it for me and 
kind of, you know, and I walked away from evangelicalism a long time ago, but even probably when I was at Bethel doing my master's and doctoral work, I went to an evangelical school, but I clearly wasn't an evangelical in theology and, and all that stuff. But I think, I mean, I think kind of saying what you're saying, Brent, to, to piggyback off of that, I think that did it in for a lot of people too, not just yourself. I'm sure there was thousands of, of people who were kind of like, on the fence of certain things. And then when they saw the evangelical church, 81%, and especially white women too, with the language and horrible stuff that Trump said. Um, so it's in some ways it's surprising. And then some ways it's not, I mean, the American church in this country is just batshit crazy. So it, it surprised me in some ways, in some ways it didn't. But, you know, we were at North central at the time. When to, you know, we, we, you graduated, I graduated in 05. What year did you graduate? The year after 06. Right. Okay. So we were at North Central at the time in the 04 election. Mm-hmm. And evangelicals were gung ho over Bush. And Bush did not get 81% of the white evangelical vote. And Bush, you could at least make an argument. Like he at least like tried to play the part. He was part of a conservative Methodist evangelical church, right? Like, he made those like direct appeals to say, I'm one of you. Right. In a way that Trump, I mean, he's getting up at Liberty saying two Corinthians. I mean, he's not even pretending um, that he's been a part of any of this. And, you know, it's higher than McCain. It's higher than Romney. Like, I mean, 81% of white evangelical support. I mean, to me that, that was just, I don't know. Like, and maybe I'd just been around the academia side of it too long, you know, you know, hanging out at Fuller. Like I fully expected some kind of statement from the evangelical community to be something along the lines. Know, does this sound reasonable to you where it's like, look, you know, we have voted Republican for, you know, a long time that we've had policy goals that have aligned with them, but we cannot align our voting values with someone who was a longtime casino owner with someone who is a, you know, been married three times, serial adulterer, who is so immoral. Like, I was expecting those high-minded statements from evangelicals, from evangelical leaders, and they didn't, it didn't happen, right? I mean, you have a few, but they're few and far between. Like, where, how, I just, I don't know. (laughs) And I just, I think back on it, I mean, because we were both 90s youth group kids, Right. And I think about, I mean, even like my pastor, my youth pastor growing up, I mean, they just railed against Bill Clinton and this idea that we need moral men in the White House. And that's why I thought they, they would not want the potential for that hypocrisy, right, of saying that for all those years and so boldly proclaiming that, you know, the person who leads needs to be moral. And it was so crazy to me how they just switched. And they're like, well, we're not we're not electing a Sunday school teacher here. We're like, elect- and it's like, well, wait a minute. This is the exact opposite of what you had said 20 years ago, like, or it wouldn't even been 20 years ago. Cause they were saying the same thing up until like 2014, you know? <laughs> and that's, I, I, there's something about seeing the hypocrisy just laid out that blatantly where it's just like, all right, wait, you are changing the rules whenever it suits you, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. And, no, I, and I agree. Um, I forget what I was watching, what I was, maybe I was reading something and it was kind of like the, the issues that the evangelical church is going through and why, and it was, it was maybe an article and I am mad at myself that I can't remember, but it was saying like, why so many like younger generations, like, I don't know what they call us cause we're around the same age, but we're not millennials. We're not gen X. We're like zennials or whatever they want to call us. A six-year period, 1977 to 1983. Yep, uh, 83, baby. Right. Um, (laughs) But it was saying that the younger generations are so turned off at especially the church and probably more, I would say, evangelicalism um, because uh, they they see what you're just describing. They're, They're seeing these pastors, these faith leaders, you know, like you were saying, like Liberty University and the Falwells and other people, and they're they're preaching this 
stuff about the Bible, and then all of a sudden they're they're talking about this totally immoral human being and Donald Trump and saying like he's God's gift to, you know, God's chosen person and da da da. And it was like you said, the blatant hypocrisy, the blatant disregard for scripture, the basic basic disregard for pretty much what the teachings, the moral teachings of Jesus and ethical teachings of Jesus. And they and a lot of people were saying it comes down to one word and it's power. They want the power in the culture. And so these pastors, these organizations, these institutions are going to systematically do whatever they can possibly do, whether moral or immoral or ethical or unethical, to get to the power that they want. And and I would say, you know, a big critique on the American evangelical church is they've kind of went in bed, you know, um, to a more nationalistic way of of wrapping the American flag and that and Christianity together, which I, I'm not saying a person can't be a Christian and have certain political values, but when you kind of wrap it, you know, and go to bed with it, that's where you have serious problems. And it happens on the left, too. You know, the left, you know, one of the reasons I left the UCC, I still have a lot of friends, I'm still technically a member, but why I left the ordination is it's just, it was too woke, if that makes sense. It was like they were woke for being woke's sake, and it's like if you didn't agree with their wokeness, then it was like you're you're not on this. You had to be all in with them or not in at all. So it's it's a weird situation in the American church right now of how so the different sides are jumping in bed with whatever political party or persuasion. And then the younger generations are looking back and they're like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, this is totally antithetical to the whole gospel of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think, so, I mean, I, you know, and I work, so, you know, if if people are listening, if you're on TikTok, please find me at W A L M Z. And I, I think I can say, if you are on Facebook, uh, one group, I don't think Brian, you're a member of, it's called the life after secret community. Uh, where it is a group of people who are deconstructing, and I'm one of the admins of that group. So I talk to a lot of people who are deconstructing. And Trump was the, I, I tell you, it, there's three things. The treatment of LGBT, the treatment of women, and then the Trump. And I feel like almost every deconstruction, you can you can tie back to one of those three things or a mixture, right? With me, it's a mixture of, and you know, that, I wasn't thrilled with the treatment of women either. I mean, it really was all three, um, but Trump just it, it put it front and center, and and it, I mean, I understand needing. I guess, and that's the thing, right? Is they they positioned it well. It was the lesser of two evils, and it's like, well, but you had sixteen candidates. Why'd you go with this guy? And even you had it wasn't even the lesser of two. There were five candidates. Why? Why didn't evangelicals switch over to what was it? The McMullen guy, McMuffin, whatever his name was. The McMuffin, Evan McMillan, the, the guy from Utah. Yeah, McMillan. Um, McMillan was that his name? What was yeah. his name? I forget. Evan McMillan. Evan McMillan, and why didn't they go with him? And if they would have done it, then Republicans would have had to switch over. It's like they, but enough of them were okay with Trump. And that's where I, that's where it got weird to me. It's like you know, because of course in the primary they probably would have said they would have voted for Cruz. Or Carson, but for a lot of them, Trump was the second choice. They didn't have, and, and that to me is the issue. They didn't have a problem with them. And how, I like I said, I, I have I have sat, and you know, I mean, I'm reading the book now. I'm sure you've heard of it, or if you've read it yourself, the Jesus and John Wayne. I've heard of it. I haven't read it. I, she even told me how to pronounce her name too, Dumas, Dumez, um, and you know, she's a professor at Calvin that's really studied this and. Honestly, reading it, I'm seeing a little bit more how it happened and that these things were around. Um, and, you know, you look, I mean, we were youth group kids and it came out, or, or maybe at North Central. Remember The Wild at Heart by John Elridge? Oh, gosh, yes. And there were these weird, I mean, the Promise Keepers when we were in high school, like there have been these weird kind of manifestations of evangelical masculinity that have been around, you know, or like even like he's back in the news now, Mark Driscoll. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's he turns out to be a total weirdo. Right. Like he's like spying on like, church members and like a guy kissed his daughter and he like started spying like this weird stuff with him. But he was a darling. Like when, even when I was at Fuller, I mean, 
uh, Fuller students were kind of over him, but I mean, he was a darling in much of evangelicalism. And I mean, you know, you said this is your podcast. We can say what we want. I mean, like, I mean, you know, he referred to women as like cockroaches. I mean, what the heck is wrong with this guy? And evangelicals kind of shrug their shoulders like, oh, that's that mark. And it's like, he's like a frat boy. I'm sorry, you're working at a college. I don't want to dispel frat boys. But I mean, like, you know, he was like a frat boy. He became a pastor. It's like how, so there, there have been these issues, I think, for a while in in evangelicalism but i feel like there was enough of like the the counter narrative or like the we're not all like this that with trump it just like people fell into place i don't know i mean i go on and on about it but like to me i you know and like i said we were students together in our central students together at bethel i i students you know i went to fuller then i had a high gpa you know I wrote good papers. I think I under I think I understand evangelical theology and ethics. I can't think of a single sermon. I can't think of a single paper I wrote. I can't think of a single Bible study I participated in that ever would have got me to the end and say Trump is who I should look for in a leader. No, I agree. And and I was raised in the Assemblies of God, which is the denomination that of the college we went to. I was raised yeah, and then I went to Woodland Hills, which was Greg Boyd's church, which he, I would say for him, I was there long, long ago before, you know, 2016. Um, he would probably have stand up, and I think he did stay, stand up and say something, which is the denomination that Bethel's a part of. But I don't, and I'm with you, I, you know, had good GPA in, in not necessarily college, but in my master's in doctoral work, and I agree with you fully, Brent, that nowhere would my reasoning or my logic bring me to the end goal of where I could vote for him. But I think, I, I, I and I've listened to a ton of podcasts on on just this, you know, like what we're talking about, on, on how could people vote for a man like this. And I think it just goes back to what I said earlier, it's that power, it's, it's, once people, it was kind of like people fall in line. Like, and I, I joked even back in college that if the devil ran as a Republican, the evangelical church would vote for him. It, it's just what evangelicals you weren't, do. Weren't far huh? <laughs> you weren't far off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I mean, and I just like the progressives will vote for almost every Democrat that's out there. And I think that's the fundamental problem we have is when we take our faith and we, tie it together within, you know, political stuff, because when you look at Jesus, when the political figures and people of his day kind of came and, and you know, said whatever, Jesus would rebuke them in a nice way. Jesus would, you know, answer a question with another question and, and always kind of was like, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and, you know, always mocking the Romans and mocking the, the religious elite. And I think so far in Christianity, so far now, two thousand years later, it's still like Christians don't get that. It's still Christians are like, well, to get anything changed, we can't really do it in church, but we got to align ourselves with a political party that will get stuff done, or so we hope. And I think that the evangelical church in America has aligned themselves with the Republicans because they think that 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 power is going to get them the whatever it's anti you know gay bills or anti-abortion bills which is just absurd well and, and so he's a public figure so we you know i, was a little, I don't want to like talk about like a random guy who went to college with or something on your public facing podcast but greg boyd's a public figure right uh, right so i mean and, and so like and he did in 2004 very publicly proclaimed I and mean, i think he got him on the cover of usa today that he was opposed to george w bush um, and so he, he was kind of like the one evangelical mega pastor who had stood up to that. I, I, I haven't kept track of the guy. I mean, I, I have to imagine he, he wouldn't have aligned with Trump. Oh no, no, not at all. I, mean, you, you keep up with, I don't keep up with the guy. Um, but I, I can't, I just, I, I know his positions. I just, that one, I would that, that one would truly floor me. Right. <laughs> As it would but, to me too. Yes. But uh, in a similar way though, like, Pastors, like I mean, I just think back to the '90s and the number of sermons I had to sit through on hot summer Minnesota camps, listening to these pastors and such rail against Bill Clinton, and 
and look, and and and, and I, I agree, Bill Clinton. Yeah, I did some really immoral stuff, and so I don't know how much of that was Hillary Clinton's fault. And you know, I mean, I think that can get nuanced. But the whole point of it was is that our leader needed to be moral, and and I think like like I said, I mean Bush. You know, I mean, he just, you know, I mean, we both disagreed with the Iraq war, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but Bush, I, I don't think, I mean, so we can talk about the war being immoral, but I mean, he, he wasn't like an outwardly immoral guy, right? I mean, he had done some drug use and alcoholism and like went to treatment for it and like had seemed to try and live a marginally moral life, right? Mm-hmm. And then certainly McCain seemed like a you know, moral guy. I mean, to me, Mitt Romney is a very like high, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I never hated Romney. I mean, like, I thought, you know, I, I didn't vote for him, but I thought it was fine. But I mean, like, you know, he's a very moral type guy. And so that's another part I found confusing is like, they didn't get excited for Romney the way they got excited for Trump. And it's like, what? And so, I don't know, like, I mean, my, my, my biggest theory is, let me throw this off you because you, you watch these trends. My biggest theory is, is the way in which the religious right lost the gay marriage debate, right? I mean, I lived in California when when Prop 8 happened. And so Prop 8 actually passed in 2008 that made it, California briefly had it legal to, for gay people to get married. And then in 2008, it became illegal again through a, through a uh, direct vote referendum. Like people voted on a proposition to make it illegal again. And was there some, there's something similar in Minnesota, wasn't there, where uh, there was an amendment... Well, it, it it passed in Minnesota, like, unanimously, and people tried to overturn it, but it just kept getting struck down. And then, like, yeah. a year or two later, then it, the federal law. So, they yeah, people tried to overturn it, but it never went through. So, I think there was, a, there was, like, an argument, and people in the country were arguing, and some states were legalizing it, and some states weren't. Right. And so I think it, it hit a point where like gay marriage had become legal then. Do you know, I don't know how many states it was. I mean, it was it was a pretty healthy handful of states where gay marriage had become, become legal. But then other states were like passing amendments saying it could never be legal. And so you can see where the Supreme Court would have to act on this eventually, because what do you do if, you know, you're in a gay marriage and you're working at a company and now they want to transfer you to their location. And now, you know, you work for target and now they want to transfer you to the location in Alabama and you have to move there and wonder, is your marriage annulled there now? Do you have the same rights? What happens? Right. That consider like you can see where eventually the Supreme court is going to have to weigh in on this because you can't have it where your marriage is perfectly legal in uh, Vermont, but if they transfer you, it's no longer legal. And so when uh, the Supreme court was an overfell went through I kind of got the sense that there was just like the sigh of relief, especially from like the chamber of commerce side of the Republican party. We're just like, look, we want to be done talking about this anyways, because it's not good for our business. Right. And that's even like the whole thing with Mike Pence, right. The reason we even knew who he was as governor is because he had passed that bill and that's who he passed the bill, making it so businesses could say it's, you know, they, they could discriminate based on someone being part of the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. And you have businesses saying, Hey, I, I, I don't want to operate this way, right? And I and I can't transfer an employee there. You couldn't transfer an employee to Indiana if they don't know they can go out and eat pizza on Friday night, right? And so I I think what happened to evangelicals is like the floor on this debate fell out because Overfell went through and society kind of breathed a sigh of relief. People celebrated and the whole country just kind of was ready to move on. And I think they're looking at like the scope of this loss on this issue that they had been debating and fighting for for so long, and it freaked them out. And that, to me, that's like the best case. And I, you know, and I don't think this was a, a good thing for them to keep fighting about. <laughs> it was an illustration I gave at North Central. Is I thought, you know, I said the amount of time and resources that the evangelical church is putting into this gay marriage debate. You know, it reminds me of you know, Spider-Man, you know, becomes Spider-Man and decides to dedicate his life to being a mall security guard, <laughs> you know, and he's stopping kids from uh, shoplifting and he's stopping kids from skateboarding through the mall or people from loitering. And this is all he's doing is keeping this mall protected. And meanwhile, you know, Dr. Octopus is tearing apart 
the Empire State Building and Green Goblins, you know, bombing Times Square and, you know, Sandman's, you know, destroying the Brooklyn Bridge. And people look and say, hey, it seems like you could do something about this. You seem to have some superpowers. And he says, hey, look, this isn't my deal. I need to focus on what's happening at this mall. And to me, it was such a trivial thing for the church to put so much energy in. And I think it, it came back to bite them because then it left, you know, I think a little bit of a vacuum or something for them to work on at a time when I think society's moving on. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it, and so I don't know. I, I just, I look, I look at that and I wonder if they just, I mean, to me, like that this vacuum where then abortion became kind of the only issue they had left to talk about. Right. Right. And it's like, they couldn't, they couldn't pivot to other issues anymore. They just want to talk about that. And I think the power, I mean, Trump, it up, but it's like, what do they, I mean, that's part I don't understand. What is, what is the evangelical church's goal for power at this point? I don't entirely even see. You know, and, and, you know, maybe that's not being fair to them, but it's like, I, I don't, what power are they looking for? What are they looking I mean, other than I guess that they want to ban abortion, which I think even there, let's be honest, abortion becomes illegal. That is going to upset a group of this country that maybe has become a little politically politically docile, Mm -hmm. right? And I have to believe there are a lot of Republican women that, you know, they're voting for Republican because those are their husbands are encouraging them to do or because they run a small business or, you know, they make a decent living. And so they're voting for their tax cuts. But if all of a sudden they're seeing that, you know, their access to medical services are being cut, that's going to cause them to switch on this, you know? So that's where it's, I feel like they're the dog chasing the car on this. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like happened with the gay marriage thing. You know, they, they were chasing this car and then the car just completely drove away. And now it's like, well, what, what was the point of that? I don't know. That's it, how I look at it. Yeah. And I don't have like, uh, as much as I like studying trends and stuff within church and, Christian thought, which was my, you know, degree at, at Bethel. I, I've really, I don't, I don't understand the end goal in the American evangelical church. And I don't understand the end goal in the American liberal Protestant tradition as well, either. Uh, I don't really think there are end goals. I think, uh, each are trying to have a slice of pie, um, meaning their their way and doing that. I just think it gets back to and I don't know if you know if you remember Scotty Williams from Bethel. Um I think you guys have interacted on Facebook from obviously posts that we've all done, but like me and him are we, we talk a lot and you know I kind of just talk to him and say like the American cuz he's overseas, he's an American but he's been over in Switzerland for like 12 years now and I just keep saying to him like the American church that even I grew up in, you know, as a, as a nineties youth kid, like yourself is a lot of it's the same, but a lot of it's even way, way worse and way funkier and, and out there. And I don't think that there's an end goal. I think it just comes down to, they want power and they're going to try to take power at, at every way. I mean, you saw that with Trump, you saw that with, you know, his presidency and you saw that, you know, with the whole like 2020, it's the steal and Trump really won and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I mean, even today in the news, as we're recording this on May 12th, you know, they stripped Liz Cheney of her her power as a, as a top Republican because she she, you know, not outed Trump, but was like, no, he lost like he fair and square lost. He doesn't have the power anymore. Move on. The Republicans aren't in power but we're still these elected officials. And she got stripped from that, from her own Republican colleagues. And I just sit back and I I look and I'm like, do the rest of the world just look at uh, not all Americans, but our American political system and just be like, you guys are dumbasses. Like you you elected a, 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 a reality TV star who's completely immoral to run your presidency and then you did not think that was going to have reverberations, you know, throughout th- your country, uh, let alone the world. So, I don't know. And so that is the piece. Right. So, I, I'm, I'm getting more and more public about my 
deconstruction and I'm, I'm part of groups that are and they're you know and you can see it's starting to freak evangelicals out oh a little bit right and yeah i mean and and it's interesting because they're trying to like take back the narrative a little bit and they're like well if you're going to deconstruct you know the the gospel coalition just put out something on twitter recently where it's like well if you're going to deconstruct but you should come back to jesus in the end <laughs> and so and i think a couple things happen here number i don't think anybody i did not set out to deconstruct Right. And sure. you, you know me at this point. Oh, yeah. When I, I legitimately wanted, and I went to seminary to do this, I wanted to understand how this all worked. And I, I put in a lot of effort. I read a lot of books. I, you know what I mean? Like, no, no part of me. And, and, you know, I really thought it was my calling in life to be a minister. Like, I, I, I legitimately thought that. And so it, it, it was in no way professionally advantageous for me to ask questions, mm-hmm. right? Like it, mm-hmm. it would not have helped me. And I, you know, honestly, if I could just turn my ethics and morals off, you know, I'm sure I could be one of these fire breathing Southern Baptist pastors and probably make a decent living at it. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. It's my, you know, and it, but it's my own ethics and it's my own questioning that just wouldn't, you know, I couldn't sign a statement saying I believe these things. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, but I, I certainly didn't intend, I, I had no desire for this to happen. And honestly, like I think about how my deconstruction happened, it wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it because this is something that had given me a lot of certainty, uh, you know, my identity, my, um, you know, my hope, my community. Right. And, you know, I, I mean, <clears throat> You and I are still friends, obviously, and I still have a lot of friends from our different institutions, but there are some spaces. I mean, I just would not be welcome in anymore. I'd be seen as an outsider, right? And so and this, this is how it is for so many people who are deconstructing. It's not something that they set out to do. It's not like somebody just wakes up and says, you know, I am a full Christian, but I want to start deconstructing today. It's It's a question that enters their mind or... You know, it's seeing some form of this hypocrisy. And, and you know, so that's even, I, I put out a thing today on, on my TikTok channel where I said, you know, the Gospel Coalition, in response to their tweet, I said, hey, if you are concerned about people deconstructing, and this is something that's bothering you, I, I will tell you the Gospel Coalition, right? And that's like, isn't that John Piper's group? I don't. Uh, no, not John Piper. Uh, it's the guy out in Colorado. Okay. McDowell, I think, or Josh McDowell, I think. McDowell, okay. Yeah. I'm the Gospel Coalition. I don't want people deconstructing anymore. Here's what you should do. And they're, they're not going to take my advice, but you tell me if they think this would work. I think they get as many ministers as possible to sign a letter that says we are sorry for what we did to the LGBTQ community. We are sorry for how we treated women. And we really see that we were wrong for supporting Trump. I think if they wrote a letter that said that and got you know a gob of evangelical leaders to sign it, that might stop the trend of deconstructing. That might, because that might get people to stop or take a look back. Will, will, will they do that? No. No, of course not. Right. But this, and, and so they, and I've seen this from a few, you know, pro, you know, evangelical pastors, they're mad at people for deconstructing. And it's like, you guys made this bet. And, I, and, you know, and we can talk back and forth. I mean, with Hillary Clinton, I, you know, I voted for her and, uh, you know, w- you know, I, she has some flaws. Fine. Um, but I, the, to me, the, the rationale to hitch on to somebody that they knew that this was going to cause people to wonder. And I feel like maybe they could have tried to thread some kind of needle of like, look, we're just voting for the lesser two evils here. But then they got excited about him and attended his rallies and invited them to his churches. And, and you know what I mean? Like they embraced him and it just, it, it clearly wasn't an uncomfortable thing. They were very comfortable with him and people saw that. Right. And, you know, you look at like Franklin Graham I mean, Franklin Graham says he's one of the most Christian men he ever met. It's like that, you know, it's just, you know, and it's like, and, and if, if I'm trying to build this evangelical movement and I'm trying to get people committed to Jesus, like, I guess like to me, 
And this is, the, you know, like we go back to, you know, I don't want to keep talking about a different passer. Uh, Cause I know you're, you're doing it with what you're doing at uh, uh, revolution church. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Greg, I think tries to do this where he really focuses it on Jesus and he tries to stay out of the political fray. And that's even, you know, and, and so I think there can be an argument for that. Like keep people focused on Jesus and, I don't understand why they allowed this gigantic distraction to manifest, right? Like why they gave themselves this distraction. It just, because to me, they didn't have to. And they would have been wiser not to, because when I talk to people who are deconstructing, it's one of those three things. And of those three things, I'd say it's Trump that lit the fire in the most of them. It just, it got people sitting in the pews going, but wait a minute. I, I don't know if I buy that, right? And I especially think you have a lot of women who are maybe kind of reluctant to come out too loudly about it, but they're looking at this pastor who's supporting someone like that, and they're saying, "I this isn't me, or this isn't what I'm about, or this isn't what I thought you were about, or this isn't what I thought the church was about. To me, if, if, the, if the goal was to advance the cause of Christ, it just it provides a distraction that I just, I think was incredibly unwise. And so, I don't know. I mean, if, if they are worried about people deconstructing, I think, to me, their approach has got to be they got to clean their own house. And, I, I mean, that's something I believe as a teacher, right? Something mm-hmm. that I've been taught is that teacher actions predict student actions, right? And if I come into a classroom and I act a certain way, that can cause students to act another way. So it's even, you know, if I would come into my classroom and I have chaotic energy, if I'm in a room of seventh graders, they're going to have chaotic energy, right? right like, right. I need to bring in a certain energy. I need to act a certain way. I need to be professional, right? Or if I'm acting unprofessional around my students, they're going to act unprofessionally around me. And so what blows my mind a little bit is the the church isn't, is their action is creating this reaction. And I've read, I've read things that have said that evangelical attendance since 2016 has gone down 10% plus. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And I think this is what these are people that aren't coming back, you know, and they're leaving angry. And I think this other piece is they're finding community about this. They're finding other people who feel the same way. I've had groups of people meet at breweries and such here in Southern California, and we've had conversations around it. And so, you know, this, this idea is feeding. And I think you're having a lot of people that are sitting in a pews that are kind of like, I don't know if this is me. And now these communities are out there. And I, you know, I think this is what, you know, I don't want to you know, advertise for you, but I think this is what you're doing at Revolution Church is you're trying to give an alternative that is Jesus-centered, that is, um, you know, taking an honest look at these issues and is trying to provide, you know, an authentic faith system that is needed. But Well, yeah, and uh, thank you for the plug. I'm not going to say no to that. Um, but, yeah, kind of— Bryant Lake Bowl, right? It was yeah, a Sunday yeah, night. Yeah, well, Sunday morning. Um, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. But yeah, I mean, because I took over, uh, it was Jay Baker's um, and my friend Caleb, but they both moved out to Seattle um, more for personal reasons. And so I took it over because at that time I had just walked away from the UCC and the ordination process for a bunch of bullshit reasons. But, um, so I took it over and I was just interviewed, um, for the revolution, like their revolution, they do like a midweek thing. And, you know, and I, and I switched the tagline for us and our tagline is church without the bullshit, because that's what I want to get back to is like strip all of the stuff that doesn't matter and just get to the heart. Cause I tell people all the time, like I have a lot of agnostic views when it comes to stuff about theology and scripture, but I said, I don't have an agnostic view on Jesus, because I I believe Jesus's teachings are transcendent and and um they're amazing and they're wonderful, but everyone does a horrible job at it, and and so I that's what I try to do on on um when I preach or give talks or something. I don't like to even say sermons because that churchy language just gives me the heebie-jeebies. But yeah, so so that I do try to do that at Revolution, but. I guess for me, kind of piggybacking off some of the stuff you said, and I understand, like, I I feel like I started deconstructing before, and I'm not going to say, like, deconstruction's cool now because so many people are doing it, but, like, I started deconstructing 
if I'm truthful with myself all the way back at at North Central. Because I've always started questioning things. And I have, you know, when, when somebody tells me, like, Brian, you got to think this way, whether it's a pastor or even my parents, there's always that, that switch in my head that's like, why? why? Why should I do this? Why? This doesn't seem right to my soul. This doesn't seem right in my brain. And then even going further, even in my master's program when I was a Christian thought major and I had to take epistemology and logic. And so we're, we're taking these really, long-standing philosophical classes and then coming out of the class and then hearing all these evangelicals make not a lick of sense. And that really solidified it for me where I'm like, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in all the church stuff that you guys are saying. I don't, I don't understand the fascination with ritualism. I don't understand the, the fascination of having to raise your hand at church or, or wearing vests and you know saying our father you know whatever and 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 i feel like people who are in and yeah a lot of people are deconstructing cuz they're mad they're pissed off they're for the reasons you've said and probably a host of others why people are deconstructing and i take it very serious and and i feel what the evangelical church is doing which is pouring you know oil or oil on a fire is they're like oh well you guys are deconstructing because you think it's cool and you're hip and you're whatever and it's like no we're deconstructing because we're pissed off we're angry we're hurt we 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 believed in what you were saying and now we're thinking with these critical minds and and all these things and we're saying no that's bullshit like you're not preaching the gospel of jesus you're preaching some sort of nationalistic or Republican version of Christianity, and we're not a part of that. And, you know, well, I mean, I didn't leave more for political reasons. I left because of theological reasons of, of things that just didn't make sense at all. Yeah. No, it makes total sense. I I mean, so, I mean, I think, uh, and I told him he'd get uh, something of a shout-out tonight. Uh, you two, I understand, wrote a paper together. Uh, Tim, I'm going to... Set up the Panorama, right? And so I, even, I, I was, spoke, spoke to him before you and I had spoken. Uh, we were catching up. And his class at North Central on the Pentateuch, mm-hmm. um, which was an excellent class. Good job, Tim. That was actually my first, uh, I think, real taste of, of deconstruction. Um, and, you know, so he, he, I think he makes feelings about that, but, uh, <laughs> he had us read an article that really outlined the way the church dealt with married and divorced people and the way the church was dealing with gay marriage. And one, I, I think you could make the same biblical case if you're using this hermeneutic of cherry picking verses and then being really literal and strict with them, which is, you know, what, what this is, Right. I mean, if we're, if we're being clear, the hermeneutic that leads to anti-LGBTQ stuff is cherry-picking a few verses and being very literal with it, right? It's the same, uh, you know, if you have a general audience, hermeneutics means how you interpret the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's the same hermeneutic that allowed slavery to be a position that Christians could accept, right? Right. Obviously, it's nothing to do with the ethos of Jesus whatsoever. But if you can cherry-pick a few verses, you can make the case. Well... So if you do that with divorce and remarriage, and I don't want to like harp on people who are divorced and remarriage, remarried, excuse me, right? But you could make the same biblical argument that this is a really wrong thing to do, right? Uh-huh. And but let's face facts: if 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 a, if I am divorced and remarried, and I have a couple of kids that could be in the youth group, and you know, and I could help teach a Sunday school class or something. 99% of evangelical church, not 100% of evangelical churches are going to welcome me with open arms. Hey, come in. Yeah, we want your family here. You, you know what I mean? Like, they, it would not be a problem. Might you know, if I went for ordination, it might be somewhat of a problem in some of them. But if I just wanted to be a member and hang out, they'd have no issue whatsoever. Right? Right. And that was even, you know, churches I knew in the Twin Cities area, half of their elder boards are people who are in this position, right? Who had been married, remarried. But if you're, if you're in a gay marriage... Well, churches aren't going to let you in. They say we can't have you as members. We can't allow you to be here. You know what I mean? Like, and what? And I've never heard a good answer from. And I've posed this to many evangelical pastors. And like I said, Tim got me started on this. Why is that? 
I can't make, I mean, to me, I mean, it's like, I, I, I said, you know, I mean, I, I can be very sarcastic, hyperbolic, you know, I can't even like using a hyperbole think of a bigger, I mean, honestly, Jesus is the only one where it's like the speck in one eye and the plank in the other. Right. I mean, it's like, I can't think of a, if, if you are using this hermeneutic that evangelicals use, or the Bible needs to be authoritative and literal. There is no easier to find example of just blatant hypocrisy that one group is treated one way and the other group isn't when you can make the same biblical case for both. Right. And it's just, and that was really the beginning of saying like, wait a minute, like, this is just kind of being made up as we go along. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, you know, and then I don't want to bring up the person's name because they're not a public figure, but I mean, like we had someone, you know, or my senior year would have been, I guess your junior year who was asked to leave North central because he was gay. Yeah. As many credits as I did. And I said, this is insane. Like he was a good student. Like it just, it didn't, I thought how, <laughs> And that was this, you know, that where I really lost faith in that institution. I was like, this isn't right to kick him out. Or especially, like I said, he was he was about where I was credit wise. It's like he was almost done. You know, you can let him graduate. Right. And that really that bothered me when that happened. Um. And so, and again, like, and we we're both students there, and none of these are public figures, so I'm not calling out any names, of course. But I mean, like, I knew enough about what other students were up to at that university. <laughs> that like there are a lot of students that if they said you know we can't handle any kind of sexual immorality there are a lot of students there that needed to go okay and you know and like i said i'm not going to call anyone out but we both know what was happening right yes yes i mean and it's not and whatever they were all fine people and I'm not saying they were wrong but i'm not saying that they were any less wrong than a student that they asked to leave and that's where i the get us a Spider-Man thing. It's like the amount of response given to this one thing when other stuff's going on. I, it, you know, that, that's what really got things breaking apart for me. Where I just said, I, I can't, I can't participate in this. I can't keep being a part of this, you know? Yeah. So, no, I, 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 I agree too. Um, and I think for me, a big thing, uh, what did it for me, what made me leave evangelicalism and start fully deconstructing is the treatment um, of the GLBTQIA plus community. That was a huge, um, a huge one. And I think for me, a lot of it was the theological questions I started having where, you know, you hear all the time that out of one form of the pastor's mouth, it was like, Jesus is loving. He died for everyone. He died for everyone's sins. And, Da 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 da, and you just saw Jesus as this like awesome father figure, or this great mentor, or this this person who did this such awesome thing. And then out of the other side of their mouth, they're like, "Well, if you don't believe it, then you're gonna go to hell and burn for all of eternity." And then I like something in my head was just like, "That doesn't make any sense, <laughs> you know, whatsoever." You know, because it's like when I read the scripture, I I see that Jesus is love and. He is rebuking people in power. He's rebuking political powers. He's rebuking, you know, the the religious people of the days of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he was kind of like, that's not the kingdom. That's not what I want. That's not what my kingdom is about. And and then you look at it in our culture now in the 20th and 21st century, and that's exactly what the church is. It's a place of power. They're the modern-day Pharisees. They're the modern-day you know, Sadducees and all, all these political things that are like the Romans. And for me, I was just like, I don't want to be part of church. I want to be a part of the teaching in the community of Jesus, of of trying to tell people like these teachings of Jesus. And I tell people, I don't, I don't really care, you know, if I ever step foot in a church, quote unquote, whatever church you want, like a church building. And I said, because that's not what it's about. Because everything that I feel like the modern church preaches, whether it's evangelicalism or rabid, you know, progressive liberalism, is their version of Christianity that they want you to believe in. And if you don't believe it hook, line, and sinker, then you're not part of that in-group. And it's not been about an understanding and appreciation of Jesus. It's become a, a, a control tactic. And that's my big thing where I'm on right now in my own, I guess, spirituality is the church 
has a control power aspect to it where it wants to control almost every aspect of your life from who you marry, um, where you work, like what you do for a career, what you, you know, all that stuff. And it's just like that the church has been the cesspool of just shit, (laughs) you know, lack of a better phrase, um, because it just wants to control. And I think I posted this on my Facebook a while back, but for the first time, and this was done by the um, Gallup Research Group, which is obviously a really recognized and legit um, company, is it was for the first time, I think, since like the 40s or the 50s, is a church membership in America is less than 50%. And it's the first time probably ever in American history. Yeah. And, and the very founding, actually, church membership had gone down until the first Great Awakening. Yeah. But and i find that i find that i find that that's where kind of the uh because now there's more what do they say more millennials and zennials and whatever than we make up the majority of the population now because our our parents our grandparents they're all dying off and so like we're coming into this and we're like christianity not saying that christianity sucks and it's not working but the the understanding the, uh, of we need to go to church, we need to do this ritualism, we need this institution for control in our lives, that's losing power right before our eyes. Like, we're coming in and we're saying, this is a power structure, this is a power institution, your words have meaning, all of our words have meaning, you're using your words, whether you think so or not, for harm, for not accepting and being inclusive to all of our brothers and sisters, and so we want no part of it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, so like, I think going to your first thing, I mean, about, you know, like you think about like seeing it sort of like the penal substitutionary view of the atonement, right? And this is getting into some highfalutin theology here, but it's like basically, I'd say it's vast majority of evangelicalism or even Protestants kind of believe this idea, right? Where it's like Jesus is like the sacrificial lamb. And to me, you know, like that, that pays the ultimate price. And, um, you know, to me, it just it doesn't make sense. It's like it's a problem that God caused that he also needs to solve by sacrificing his own son. Like, it doesn't add up. No, not at all. I do think the, you know, the Christus Victor view, so if people want to Google, uh, makes a little bit more sense where it's like God is fighting this issue or, or ha- you know, whatever the power dynamic is, like he had to defeat Satan, right? And Christ had to be victorious. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a little bit more of an inspiring message. Um you know, we're saying it doesn't make sense. I think there's something kind of weird, though, where, you know, I mean, up until around like the 70s, 80s, you know, mainline Protestants were very much a major fixture in American society. Right? You think about this, you drive around like any like major city, you see these gigantic old Protestant buildings. I think about it in Pasadena. I mean, like the Methodist Church, like takes up a whole city block. Uh, the American Baptist Church is even huge, glorious building. Um you know, you go to LA or, you know, the, Minneapolis, right? It's a, a Hennepin, you know, the big Episcopal church, a huge yep. Methodist yep. church. And it's like, there's this huge fixture. And then in the eighties and seventies, that whole, like the mega church thing really started. And it really was, it was, you know, for, I think a lot of the boomers, a more authentic faith, because maybe the ideas were simpler and more broken down. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it really, it, it ended up creating like a, a fake feeling Christianity, but then I, you know, so it's like, I think the, the deconstruction is really, you don't have to start there. It's like people that deconstructed more traditional forms of Christianity or traditional mainline Protestant or Catholic systems to then going to these non-denominational or, you know, really low church evangelical settings. And then to me, that created a system that was right for charlatans, right? So you have these, the, the prosperity preachers and you have, you know, the, you know, there is something to me, like if you get away from some of the accountability and some of the, you know, just, you know, you th- you know, you have like some prosperity preacher in an Episcopal church or a Methodist church, eventually the bishop's going to sit them down and say like, hey, this isn't making sense. Right. Mm-hmm. But you get more low church traditions and these things start happening. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I'm not totally making sense there, but I mean, I do think there is something where the faith really deconstructed to this point where it became in a place where people had a harder time seeing it. And, you know, and I do think too, like the, the splitting, you know, what you're talking about where things have become polarized. I mean, I think that is a problem, right? Like 
I mean, these denominations start splitting. So all the conservatives are going one place. It leaves only the liberals another place. And so you are mixing, you're missing a little bit of that co-mingling and having to find, a, you know, having to find consensus or having to find agreement, right? If I can just say, I'm going to start my own denomination and I'm going to go over here. Well, now there's less of that push and pull, right? So that might be one critique, we, you know, that we're saying about the UCC. I think that definitely happened. I mean, the conservatives left the UCC 50 years ago. Right, right. And so it's like you just had all the most liberal people that were now in the room. And so, yeah, you're right. They're probably, they're, you know, they're almost like trying to out-liberal each other. And then you had, you know, I think you had the opposite happen in Southern Baptist Church, where it's like they made it so uncomfortable for conservatives to be there that they started leaving. And some joined the American Baptist. Some of them became non-denominational or like they ended up at Fuller, places like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, American, the Southern Baptist just kept getting more and more conservative, and it became stifling. And I do, I don't know. So, I mean, what could have been the solution to that? You know, and I, you know, I, I think there had to be some kind of answer to that. But I, I, the, to me, that's maybe part of the issue. And maybe that's even why I'm saying that, like, the numbers went up with Trump. It, maybe we're not even looking at the same evangelicals, because I don't know if I would have still identified as evangelical in 2016. So if I'd have been pulled on it, I might not have been included versus I would have identified that way in 2012, 2008, certainly four or 2000. I don't know. I'm throwing a bunch of ideas out there <laughs> of what I think might have had, you know, I think the, the polarization in the church created a different issue. Right. No, I agree. Yeah. I want to be but, sensitive to our time. I mean, I'm two yeah, hours ahead of you. Listeners too, wondering about our crazy ideas. Yeah. It was really good. Uh, <laughs> it's really good catching up with you though. My old friend. Yeah. Thank you, you too. So this and the ability to talk it was a lot of fun we can always do it again if you want hey it's my podcast yeah, so. you're in time and like i said and I, you know come 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 chat with me on tiktok or anywhere else all right i will um yeah um one thing we usually do with our guests is if you want to plug anything like your tiktok uh, any other social medias that if people our listeners want to follow you or you know um I think I already gave myself a shameless plug, but please come find me at WALMZ Walms on TikTok. And I love and ask questions. I love when people ask questions. I love responding to them. Um, but I very much enjoy, and I, you know, I'm just a little guy at TikTok. I'm no one special, but I, I just, I love having these conversations. And I think it's, it's a place for people to talk, you know, in this social media age, you know, we're kind of hopefully reaching the end here of COVID, but I mean, like, in a socially distanced way, it's a good way to talk. And if you're in Southern California, I want to start getting uh, evangelicals together again. So I'd love to connect with you. Awesome. Well, it's right. good to talk. Yep. Yep. Good to talk to you. And I'm sure we'll do it again soon sometime in this future. Sounds great. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Bye. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at sacredmn.com.